This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hi, I'm Julie Bowen. I'm Chad Sanders. And this is Quitters. And who was our guest this week? Our guest this week was a fantastic writer, a lawyer based out of Maryland, a mother of three. Three boys. Three boys. Yep, just like me. Two twins and a big boy. It was my sister, Shannon, and it was really sweet, honestly. I thought it was incredibly eye-opening, not just in getting to see a little bit of your relationship, but in talking to a professional woman and a creative woman about what she has to give up and what she gets back for the things she gives up. She's a creative person who also has a full-time job and three full-time kids. And I'm not in exactly that place anymore because my kids are a little older, but it feels like two seconds ago I was there and her perspective on quitting lots of things during the pandemic in order to get back her creative self was really revelatory for me. I really enjoyed watching the two of you <laughs> chat, especially at the very beginning. I think you all were sort of nerding out on some fiction stuff, a world that I do not inhabit at all, but I could see the spark in the two of you and it was really nice. But I really appreciated the version of yourself that showed up for among three most important people in my whole life. That really matters a lot. Sometimes I am so hard on you, but it's because you just have such a big heart in a way with people. And that's why I think probably a lot of people are hard on you because they know the best of you is just so freaking good. So I'm really grateful. And thank you for going on the epic journey. Meeting your sister kind of puts another little piece in the Chad pixel puzzle. <laughs> and it's really interesting. What a great big sister. Yeah, she is a great big sister. I mean, she has such a wonderful sense of self. And you both have so much in common in how you think in full paragraphs. Yeah, you keyed in on it. And I'm glad you gave her because you give me this coaching, too. And I'm glad you gave it to her. We feel like we have to be perfect. Yeah. We feel like we're not allowed to say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing, say something stupid. I'm just glad you gave her the coaching. It's okay to just be. I can't even explain how much she has transformed in the last five years. Wow. It's parenting, it's adulthood, it's COVID. And this part can't be lost. She's prioritizing her gift. And I feel like at different points in her life, she prioritized other people's needs so much yeah. because she wants everyone to feel good and feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. And I just love seeing her take that shit back. It's kind of exciting because she's not a celebrity yet. She will be. I think she will be. She's going to be a huge writer. I've read some of her stuff. She is a wonderful, creative mind and a thoughtful person in the vein of you, Chad. And talking to her was such a pleasure because she's such a real person. Hearing about what she's given up to get something else, the trade-off she's made, it's invaluable. So thank you, Shannon. Yeah. <laughs> Here it is, Shannon Sanders. Hi. 
Hi. Hello. I'm Julie. This is really a pleasure. Yes, for me as well. Thank you for having me. Hi, Chad. Hi. It's your sister. It is my sister. Hi, how are you? I'm great. How are you? (laughs) I'm good. We were just G-chatting two seconds ago, so I know how she is. (laughs) I just read your story, the short story that won the award about the two brothers. The good, good men. Yes. And I was like, oh, wow, she's really in touch with sibling relationships. I just thought it was really interesting that you wrote about two men's sibling relationship when it's you and Chad, right? That's it. It's just us. Yep. You put their voices front and center and the mom became this sort of object of their fascination. What made you want to write about the sibling relationship from a male perspective? So that story won an award, which I'm really proud of. And then it kind of spawned a few other stories that are about different members of the family. I went further into the mom story, the two sister stories in other pieces that are part of the collection that that's going to be a part of. But that first one got a lot of attention, which I think is probably because it was so male centric. So I feel that's one of the things that people respond to about it is the fact that it's about these two men and the brotherly bond. But I wrote that one in, I guess, 2016 when I first drafted. It. And I had actually heard some version of that story just at a party that my mom threw. One of her friends had a friend whose sons did almost exactly that thing and kind of chased away a boyfriend that they didn't like. Right. And they kind of were telling this story. And isn't that so gallant? And isn't that just so wonderful that they did that? These valorous sons. And I was kind of horrified. Right. Was she happy with the boyfriend? What's going on there? And then ultimately, years later, so after writing that story, I now have three sons. And so I'm even more horrified before I draft that story. And he came back at one point and his hair was different and he was wearing his new streamlined wardrobe, his black clothes and all that stuff. So it actually started kind of as a character sketch of Chad. Ah. And then it just kind of (laughs) blossomed out. As the brother was getting the tattoos. Theo. Yep. I thought the tone of it was beautiful. It's really interesting to me that then later on, you sort of take on the mom's point of view and the sister's point of view. What was the reception you got to writing from the male point of view? I think that's one of the things that people really responded to well about it. Anytime I got positive feedback on that story, there was always this nugget that was, you really captured the Black male experience. And, you know, not always necessarily from Black male readers. Right. How do they know? I took it always with a grain of salt. I was definitely interested in that question. I felt I could get close to the truth I was trying to explore there without appropriating their voices completely, because really, for me, it is a story about the mom. I felt I had a close enough look at what the mother's role would be in that story that I felt like I could get away with it. Had anybody said to me, this is an irresponsible story, I don't like this portrayal, I would have pulled it and not sent it out. I've been close to, of course, Chad, and then I've had different male friends and had some access to some viewpoints. And so I felt like I could kind of back it up. But the response was always very much about the maleness of it. I find it really interesting just as an actor, because there's an idea about it's not your story to tell versus getting in somebody else's head is part of your craft. Yeah. Becoming somebody else for those moments as an actor or as a writer and getting into somebody else's perspective and point of view and trying to be as authentic to that as possible I'll let you talk in a second, Chad. (laughs) No, no, no. Do your thing. (laughs) I just am fascinated by your sister. I want to do a proper introduction. I mean, y'all already met each other, obviously. But Shannon's my sister. She's probably my best friend and sappy stuff like that. She taught me how to write, which is really important to me. We antagonized each other and fought and all that stuff (laughs) like kids do. But those are the nice things. 
At what age did she, quote, teach you how to write? She used to go in her room and tell herself stories a lot when we were a little kid and lock the door yeah. so that I couldn't go in there. Uh-huh. But then somehow I think the lock was broken. <laughs> somehow. somehow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I mostly know that she taught me how to write just because she used to write and I would try to copy and do everything that she did. At some point, someone probably said, teach him to just as she was asked to help me with homework I do think she probably actually sat down with me at some point. (laughs) This is how you do it. This is how you write. But she was the writer. She read way more books than I did. She was way more interested in art and crafts. And I guess I came to like them by copying her. I say thank you for that. (laughs) And I'm excited for y'all to meet. I wanted to actually stay out of the way of that first bit because what's the way to say this? I mean, you're both kind of nerdy. You both know a lot. You both read carefully and digest what you're reading. And you have specific points of view on the information. That was just fun to listen to the two of you. I've watched you as your brother. I've watched you transform, especially after you became a mom, which almost immediately then coincided with COVID. You had a singleton and then twins, just like me. Yes. How far apart? They are 34 months apart. Mine are 24 and a half months apart. So very close. And you had your twins when in relationship to COVID. So they were born in February 2021. And so that's about 11 months after COVID started. Oh. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You were really a mother and COVID hit. Yep. Those are huge changes. Yeah. Her kids are babies. One's four and about to turn one. They're 14 months. What were the changes that you saw, Chad, specifically that you wonder if they were due to motherhood or COVID? I have seen my sister become purposeful is a word that comes to mind. I think she and I both are wanderers. And I think we like to space out a little bit. (laughs) If I think about my sister as a kid, she's in her room telling herself a story. She's wandering around a honeysuckle bush by herself, humming a song. She's the kid on the playground who's (laughs) off by herself somewhere in her own head. But happily so. Extremely happily so. And way less happily so when someone comes and interrupts and says, you have to do this now. It felt like God was kind of like, you have to do this now. You have kids. I just saw her take on the mission and I guess become a little bit tougher. Does any of that resonate for you, Shannon? Yeah, for sure. Parenthood, if you rise to the challenge, it toughens you up no matter what, probably. So we knew that we were in for some big changes and that you don't get to wander around Once you have kids and you've got some responsibilities, you can't just drift away from. So yes, a lot of that stuff happened in one fell swoop when I had my oldest son. And it's hard to tease apart how much of the change in my life has been parenthood itself versus how much has been parenthood during a pandemic, except that it was so markedly different, you know, for those first two years before we couldn't really leave the house with the kids. So I definitely do make a distinction between becoming a new person as a parent and becoming a new parent because of a pandemic. Three kids versus one kid is a whole different ballgame as well. It feels like you guys have kind of been in a bunker Mm -hmm. forming your family and protecting your family from COVID, which brought this very purposeful spirit of discipline to you. 
But I've also seen you take that discipline and wield it. You also got your first book deal in the middle of all this. Yeah. Can you just paint the picture of what your life is like? Because I think people who are outside of such a bubble don't know what parents of young children are really dealing with right now. That's absolutely true. And it can be hard to have a discussion about this that doesn't get sort of combative because when you say you just have no idea that can come off as condescending or it can seem like you're accusing someone of something. And it's really, I don't mean any of this to be that at all. I certainly, before I had toddlers, I didn't have any real clear sense of what it would be like to parent toddlers for sure. When my oldest son was learning to walk and starting to get interested in the world, I had no concept of what it would be like to have three little kids all doing that at the same time and especially not being able to take them to a lot of the same places. So the beginning, I guess, of the pandemic parenting story is that I had to give birth to the twins in a mask. Yeah, in a hospital that was still sort of a pre-vaccine climate, I would say. So this was still in the days when not everybody was vaccinated. I wasn't yet until after the kids were back at home. It just wasn't widely available. And so there was still just this very present threat of serious illness and death. You know, new parents are really looking to their support systems when they bring babies home. And so grandparents and visitors, people just to provide this lifeline. And we really had to turn down all visits from everybody. We have five local grandparents. My husband has his dad and a stepmom and then his mom. And then we've got our parents. But for fear that these people in their 60s and early 70s might be exposed to COVID, it was really hard to ask them to do anything helpful. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was just really a lot of turning inward and just surviving in those early days. It really does make you have to toughen up. I remember my sister saying to me, time to put on your hard hat and your work boots. Yeah. It's not time to cry about it. Yeah. This is get it done time. And it's really hard because you want to indulge. Or I wanted to indulge, especially in those years. You know, there's three in diapers or the three destroying the house or there are three crying for something they can't have going, mm. <laughs> I want to scream and cry. Yeah. This is just get her done time, punch that clock and take care of business. How did the honeysuckle girl (laughs) have that talk with herself? Because that's a lot to give up. That's a big quit right there. Yeah. Even the novel we were just talking about, The Candy House, in my previous life, I would have been reading a few pages of that every night until I fell asleep. And that's just off the table for this period of time. Yeah. Really the fear of something happening that we couldn't control and that we wouldn't be able to undo was a really strong motivator. Yeah. My husband works in healthcare, and so he was really exposed on a pretty constant basis to some of the realities of what was going on. So even though we were very insulated because we were in the house all of the time, we had the news playing and things like that, and he was seeing at work what was happening. I think that something kicks in also, which is just that the health and well-being of the kids is going to have to be the top priority, no matter how inconvenient it is for you or anyone who chooses to be inconvenienced by it. And so just turning down some of those early visits and things, even if they would have been helpful, even if they would have given us a little bit of a break, not wanting to feel that we had done something that we couldn't fix by exposing someone or exposing the kids. Really, all these uncertainties, just not knowing really what we were looking at, especially in those first 15 months or something of the pandemic, not having a clear sense of an endpoint. Did you have to make yourself more disciplined about your own creative process? I did. Yeah. I had finished, I would say, two thirds of what would become my book right when COVID hit. And the book came together starting in 2016. I wrote that first story that we just talked about. And then the sort of companion pieces that came from it over the next few years. And then I had enough material to become a book. I won that award and an agent reached out to me around mid-February of 2020 
literally the month before the pandemic. And she wanted to talk about what I was working on and whether I was ready to send anything out. And I told her that I was really interested. And I intended at that point to just set aside some time and just keep writing that night after my son went to bed. I had one son at that point. And in spare time on my commutes to work and back. I'm just rolling yeah. my whole body. <laughs> yeah. How? <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you can see where that's going. I discovered that one of the big generators of creativity for me was solitude, even if it was in those little parcels of time. So riding the subway to an office or sitting in the break room at lunchtime after everyone else had left. All of those were times when I really would be working out the wordings of sentences and constructs of plot or whatever. And within maybe four weeks, I think, of that discussion with that agent, my office life was just gone. I was no longer working from an office. We moved to full-time telework. And suddenly my bedroom is my office. My kid lives at work and my boss lives in my bedroom. <laughs> and so the summer approached and there was still just this sense that maybe this will all be over in a few weeks and I'll go back to my desk. Mm -hmm. I really wanted to get this book out. And I also had in the back of my mind the idea that I knew we wanted a second child. We wanted our second and final child. I thought to myself, I really want to make sure I get this book completed and sent out before we have two kids, before we're a four-person family. I know it'll be tougher to get things done once that happens. All this is just foreshadowing for where we ended up, which is with three kids who, of course, we couldn't imagine life without at this point. Right. Over that summer, I really just had no mental energy I couldn't find any mental clarity to write. I couldn't think about really anything but just the basic survival necessities. I feel bad. Like it's yeah. been hard. It's been really, really hard. And I'm holding this here for myself. You know what the bells do, Shannon. Oh, OK. Because <laughs> even just taking the two of you whose actual lives I have been inside of a little bit. I've been in your houses. I've met your kids. Uh -huh. It's easy for me to think a thing that I think a lot of guys think sometimes, which is, oh, my sister had kids and some new well of energy was just opened up inside of her. And all of a sudden <laughs> she can just sleep three hours a night and everything gets done. And she likes reading medical records now and communicating with insurance companies. But that's obviously not the truth. So I am curious. It does feel like you have tapped into something, but I don't think it's a woman thing. I think everybody has it. It almost feels like you found more survival energy. Where did it come from? The best answer I can give to that is just pure necessity. But we have a wonderful nanny who our son, he used to go to a nanny share when he was much younger. And then as COVID really encroached, we had to ask the nanny to stay home. Right. We had two full-time jobs and we were just basically trading our oldest child back and forth. And this is all before we had the other two kids. In terms of the creativity thing, it was really just stultifying. I would take my son for walks around our neighborhood and now if I even set foot in some of those neighborhood corners at this point, I just immediately feel this descending feeling of banality. I can't even look down that street anymore because I just walked it so many times. We would take walks in the morning and then again in the afternoon and we would read the same books again and again, some of which is just part and parcel of parenting a small child, but with no community, no mental breaks, 
Obviously, I love my kids, but I also just generally kids have always been a huge part of my life. Those early months were just really stultifying. And it turns out that you need to feed your creativity with something. You can't have the same view from the same window and have new ideas. It's just not possible. I had some ideas backlogged. I had some stories I hadn't had time to write yet that I wanted to write. I did get a couple of stories drafted to finish the book over those summer months. But ultimately, what finally happened was that I realized that COVID was not going to immediately end. My son's nursery school closed down for the entire year. I realized that if I did not just get going with the book and get it finished, that it was going to eventually become something that I once wanted to do. And that idea of having something that I so badly wanted to do and had wanted to do since childhood, just not ever happening, really kicked me back into gear. Ultimately, I just decided that I just had to make it happen. That's a mental discipline, though. Yeah. You made a decision. This was making a choice going, oh, God, if I don't do this, this isn't going to happen. My dream of this book will not come true. But I have to say that's the exact opposite of something that Chad was like, I know you said you thought women came up with this font of energy and you realize that that's not true. I don't think that belongs exclusively to mothers. I don't think that's gendered at all. I think the lazy thing that we as dudes sometimes do, it's a way to get out of work. Right. In my head, I do it to Juliana sometimes and try to correct for it, which is, oh, she's just wired different. So she wakes up at 6.30 a.m. and I wake up at 8.30. (laughs) She's just better at that shit or something like that. And she doesn't let me get away with it. But what I've seen in you, Shannon, feels different. A part of what I've seen in you feels very intentional And I want to add that I've also seen you create not just a protective bubble around your creativity, but it almost feels like around your whole spirit. I've seen you change some of your friendships Mm, and I've seen you change your willingness to placate our family in a lot of ways. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that's brave of you. Is it about courage or were you just like, well, I have these babies now, so I have to put them first? I mean, I guess to circle back to the creativity piece, when it comes to finishing the book, there's two other things that I do want to mention. One being that, of course, I then also saw my brother publish a book that he had been working on for a time. That's right, because that was published March of last year. February. February. And we met virtually in April. I want to point out two things that Shannon is doing that you have probably also noticed me doing. She has somewhere that she wants to go. She has it in her head already. So no matter what questions we ask. Yes, (laughs) I can see that. And we can't get her off. I know. No, and she's going to get them out. I love it. The other thing is when she feels the thing she's about to say is right here in her chest and someone else starts talking, her hands go in her hair. (gasps) And she starts doing this. Is that what? Yeah, and I got that from her. That's very interesting. I think it's creative energy. You brought up the book. So I do want to ask you, and I would ask you to not try to be nice about this. Okay. You are a really serious craftsperson about writing and a real student of it. Mm -hmm. I am less so comparatively. When you saw your brother publish a book, what were the realest, most rawest things that you felt in that time? I'll just go to the punchline of where I was going with that, which is that I do have definitely a competitive spirit for sure. It's not necessarily directly competitive, but if someone else has done something that is within the sphere where they wanted to achieve, I want to achieve within my own too, for sure. It would be really easy, I think, and neat to say, my brother published a book and then I realized, what are you doing? You love books. Why don't you have a book too? But the fact is that we're in really different lanes. So you're writing nonfiction, obviously. I had been writing fiction for a while 
and our relationships with it were just really different because your career was entirely creative at this point. Mm. It was something that was a passion, a source of community where some of my friendships were, but not like my bread and butter or anything like that. I have a desk job that's the center of my professional life. I guess what happened was that we got copies of Chad's book and my oldest son started to recognize the book on the shelf and to just be like, oh, that's Uncle Chad's book. He said in a video, he said, Uncle Chad, write this book for me. (laughs) Yes, for you, oldest son. Yeah, because he's in the dedication. Oh, that's so sweet. And so what did that do in you? He actually has another relative on his dad's side who authored a book in the 90s, I think. And we mentioned that to him too and showed him the picture in the back. This kid's going to think that anyone can just write a book if they want to. And he should think that. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought that that was a really amazing idea. The concept that these relatives of his, some no longer with us, have produced these pieces of art that he can then enjoy. And when he's an adult, he'll read it and he'll realize both what the concepts are that Uncle Chad had to research and to develop to make the book happen. And also just the work that went into it, which at this point, he just thinks, Uncle Chad made a book for me. Yeah. It's just like what he comes home with from preschool or whatever. I made this for you, mommy. And Uncle Chad made this book for me. Yeah. Yeah. And he started to ask things like, who made this book? Who made that book? That really cemented, I really want my kids to see me achieve this because this is something that I have always wanted to do. And to say that I'll do it when they're grown or when they're no longer running around my feet, that's just not going to work. I want them to see that work goes into it. And then I want them to see that it's possible. So that was definitely another piece of it. So one is competitiveness. And then another is wanting to make sure that the kids see me achieve something. What did you have to give up then? Or did COVID come in and give it up for you? I mean, COVID took so many things. I don't mean to say that flippantly because, of course, we've all been really lucky in that we've been healthy. Right. I will mention that by this point, we have all had COVID twice in my house. Oh, Mm. woman. You know, including the three unvaccinated kids. Oh, I'm so sorry. As a parent, that must have really hurt. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, all three of my boys think... God, they turned 12 and they were vaxxed the next day. Yeah. So they've been up to date on vaxxing and boosting. So when they got sick, it's an inconvenience. And I realize how lucky we are. Yeah. Little babies getting sick is the worst. Yeah. Even with a cold, I can't imagine COVID. Yeah. And just dominoes. I want to go back to something. You could very easily have said, I want my kids to know that I worked really hard and... I want my kids to see me as a professional woman. And being a lawyer alone could have been and is validly more than enough for many professional women, many professional parents. Why was the creative part so important? I guess I shouldn't overstate the extent to which that was for the kids because it was just such a part of my life plan for myself. It was just really something I did not want to turn into something I once wanted to do. Mm. My relationship with writing and books has always been that when I was younger, I should say, because at this point, I have more of an understanding of different people wanting and needing different things in their lives. But I used to always wonder, why doesn't everyone want to be a writer? Why doesn't everyone want to write short stories, for example, or novels? Not being able to imagine what it would be like to not want to write, which I eventually came to understand that that was what I wanted to do. What really drove me, I think this was the third thing I was eventually going to circle back to in terms of the drivers that got me to finish the book. What really drove me to finally finish the manuscript and get it out on submission was that I didn't want to to be my only book either. I wanted to write something else afterward. And I wanted to make sure that I did not do a disservice to the place where I was in life when I started that book 
by becoming this different person that I could tell I was becoming during this pandemic and trying to finish that book as this parent. Because I know that my next book, which I hope will exist eventually at some point after this one. You're all about do. I don't believe that you hope. (laughs) I think it's going to happen. I intend for it to, for sure. And I know that what I have taken away from parenthood and this chapter of family life and all of that stuff is going to factor heavily into that book. It doesn't in this first one because I started it when I was in my 20s. Both of you as creative parents... Sometimes I think to myself, okay, I need to get all of my angry, messy, cursing, creative projects out before I have kids. Uh. (laughs) Does being a parent change what you want to say and how you want to say it? I feel pressure now, which I didn't feel as much when they were younger. It felt impossible that they would ever have agency to search up on YouTube or look up something on the internet that I had said or done. And boy, that is in the rearview mirror. <laughs> that can happen any minute. And so the conversations I had to have with them prior to starting this podcast was really the big change because I get the freedom I can hide behind other people's words. I can take a job that may be raw. I mean, I was lucky enough to have this very globally sort of accepted job of being a sitcom mom. I wasn't swearing. I didn't take my top off. My kids can watch this or not watch this. I'm good. But the idea of having these conversations, frankly and openly, and we talked about this a lot, Chad, and where we're willing to go and what we're willing to say about ourselves and put ourselves on the line and talking about my past in an open way, I sat down with my kids and said, this is what happened in my past. These are the things that I experienced. How would you feel if other people knew these things as well? Only one of them said, but mom, what if they don't give you jobs then? I was like, well, I think that I'm going to be okay with people not hiring me for those jobs if that's too much for them to handle. That mental health is important and that there was a time when I struggled with mine. Yeah. What do you feel now as you write, knowing that your oldest boy is starting to learn how to read now? Do you consider that or do you just do the job? The one thing that I want to be really careful about is not specifically to my kids, but to anyone who might read, but not presenting the impression that having children is terrible and parenthood is something I regret. There's one thing that is, I think, specific to moms, which is that everyone is looking for ways to critique you and reasons to do it and ways to tell you that you're doing it wrong and all of that stuff. And I'm starting to get into my stage where I am wanting to write things about the realities of what I've experienced as a parent, a pretty new parent still, but the little kid stage can be really, really grinding and really monotonous. And so I have one story that I have just started sending out right now that is kind of my pandemic parenting story, I guess. And it includes this litany of scenes of a parent putting her child to bed, waking her up, getting her dressed and that kind of thing and stuff that kind of gives a look at what the monotony of that is. So that is something I'm really sensitive about, I guess, is I don't want my kids to ever think that I am describing a feeling of resentment toward them or regret or feeling like they're a burden or anything like that. Beyond that, I think, Chad, you and I definitely share the sense of self-consciousness of what it would mean to have our families reading our stuff in general. And that applies for me to fiction 100%. No matter how you insist that your fiction is fiction and that it's perhaps inspired by real life, but that it's completely invented, everyone is looking for themselves in your fiction. Yeah. When I have an experience, my instinct is to want to process it by turning it into something that has more of an artistic shape to it that anyone could understand 
it in the same way that I experienced it, which takes some shaping. And that's what fiction is. But if a character has a mom and your mom reads it, she's going to say, well, why does her mom do this? I never did that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, after that one story that I wrote that we just talked about with Theo, the character who was inspired by Chad in subsequent stories, Chad was like, well, wait a minute, which one am I for like about the next two years after that one? (laughs) Like it was a direct correlation. Yeah. This is Chad. But it's not. Exactly. And it wasn't, Chad, even though it is true that to be able to develop a character really well, you have to be able to point to something that you have experienced. You can't get the details right if you don't know what they are. And so I definitely have a lot of sensitivity about that. But you have to figure out how you're comfortable being represented by your work, whatever it is, I guess. Shannon, do you ever feel like you tell yourself a story because you're so good at telling stories? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think that that is what makes one a storyteller. But eventually, I think you kind of learn to refine that a little bit and you can temper what you actually say to other people so that they're not just like, that's not true. What I think, I guess, is that stuff doesn't really make sense the way that it actually happens in real life. It doesn't have a shape until you kind of start to notice it happening again and again, or you start to be able to predict what's going to happen. And then you can compile it into something that does have a shape. Being accused of exaggerating is something that happens a lot to fiction writers and being accused of trying to make real life mundane things have more significance than they actually do is something that's in that same category. All of that stuff is what goes into being halfway decent at telling stories. That's art. Yeah. That's the difference between journalism and art. But I have to get back to something very important because the name of this podcast is Quitters. What have you had to quit? Well, Chad and I chatted about this a little bit over the weekend and I gave him a whole list of things I've had to quit over the past couple of years. I mean, I tried to encapsulate it in this fancy way. and Don't be messy. <laughs> okay. You think in whole paragraphs and it's very impressive and you are a beautiful writer as well. But I encourage you to feel this pressure of 10 minutes to be as sloppy okay. as you can be. <laughs> I have quit most consumption of pop culture that is not feeding something that I want to create because because I just don't have time for it right now. And I don't want to be spending time on things that are not going to help me get books written. So an exception to that is Depp versus Heard is my favorite show, even though I just want to tear my eyes out every time I see any piece of it. How conscious of a quit was that? Or was it just a light reminding yourself to turn off the TV. Once I could tell that we were going to be stuck at home for a long time. So we don't have a TV in the kid area at all. And I realized that if I was relying too much on screen time to keep the kids occupied and that kind of thing, maybe I would get a lot more things done, but also there would just be no off button at all. It would be really easy for that to get out of control. And another reason is I am a binge watcher type person. Uh I think that generally in society, we've moved into the full seasons get dropped kind of mode at this point, right? So if I'm going to have to wait a long time to see where the story goes next, I just don't have the patience for it, I guess, at the moment. So that was kind of an easy quit. And I have a little bit of FOMO on Twitter and things like that now. Oh, so you didn't quit social media? I didn't quit social media, even though Chad very compellingly tells me and everyone that we should. What's the pop culture you did quit? I just want to define it. Basically watching TV. There's no more TV in my life. I have quit caring all that much about 
I don't want to make it sound like I ever cared all that much about being super pulled together or anything like that, appearance-wise or fashion or anything. Mm. But my life has so radically changed. I'm no longer really in a position where I'm having to be critiqued by older women, for example, which is really most of who was doing the critiquing at any point. What do you mean? How were you putting yourself in the way of older women critiquing your appearance? Um. Please be messy and specific. (laughs) I mean, I always was very ruled in my pre-pandemic and pre-parenthood days. I was very ruled by people saying, well, that looks wrong or just a general self-consciousness, even though I'm not in what I would think of as a front-facing lifestyle at all. As a lawyer? Yeah, as a lawyer. I mean, of course, one has to look professional to go to an office and that kind of thing. But who were these women or where did these women exist? Come on, you're circling it. I mean, definitely relatives. Older women in my family, for sure. I have a lot of aunties and I'm very lucky to have them. And I have spent a lot of my life very much trying to conform to their approval. And honestly, it's just completely not having the time or having the mental space to prioritize everything. And that just is one of the things that's kind of fallen off the list at this point. So how do you block that, though? They're still in your life. They're still important to you. Yeah. Essentially, you're deciding to quit letting it in. Because they're still there. Yeah, they're definitely still there. I mean, one thing is finding a little bit of trust in myself that I think I am representing myself well with or without their approval. Did you learn that from quitting? Did you learn that there's some trust in yourself? You're like, some older women are making the comments, I'm not letting it in. Oh, that's not killing me. I'm feeling stronger. Chicken or egg, how did that develop? Yeah, I think a little bit of that. A little bit, it was that in the purest sense, I have been so fatigued these past couple of years, starting to come up against scenarios where in the past I would have felt really nervous about, oh gosh, are they going to say that my hair looks okay or whatever? Right. I just don't have that in me at the moment. There's always a chance it might come back. I hope I can keep some of the present confidence, but I think the answer to your question is yes. After a couple of times of realizing that I just didn't have it in me to deal with that, I mean, I know how to make myself look and seem okay. I don't need a lot of external shaping at this moment. I don't think, which was not true of me 10 years ago or five years ago. I think I, in a lot of cases, would be way more self-conscious because whether or not I was wearing the wrong thing, I would need someone to tell me I was wearing the right thing. And at this point, I don't. Ah, yeah. any other messy quits? (laughs) (laughs) I stopped straightening my hair. I used to get relaxers. And this is the first one I led with when I was talking to Chad about what I might talk about, because that to me is momentous. And I was like... Chad was like, "Eh." (laughs) What did it mean to you to stop straightening your hair? I mean, it was huge. I'd been getting relaxers since I was 13. So I was decades into it. And I had always told myself I wanted to have my natural hair back when my kids were growing up because I wanted my hair to look like theirs. And the pandemic really kind of pushed me into it. I wish I had made a more intentional choice to do it. I wish I could say, I just decided it was time and I was going to stick it to the man. But really, it was that I was afraid to go sit at the hairdresser for two hours or more. Both happened as a function of the pandemic, a function being a new mom, function not having enough time and the world changing. Yeah. And then leaning into the quit because you got something positive back for yourself. Yeah. I mean, I'm thrilled now that I did it. If I had known that this was going to be what made me do it, I would have just done it from day one of the pandemic, I guess. And I would have done it with more intention. But I quit friendships that I wasn't able to nourish or that were not being positive influences at that point anymore. And my answer to all of this is that it goes back to not having the resources to spend on everything I wanted to anymore and really wanting to focus on things that are going to help the kids, help me get books written and put in the world. 
and just not even being able to deal with things that make me upset or that hurt my feelings at all because I'm already not getting any sleep. (laughs) So as far as resources go, what I hear you saying, you're a two-income household, the real ultimate resource that you've discovered is the single most valuable and you are willing to quit for is time. Totally, yeah. Health and time are the two things that you can't trade on. Yeah, and I keep wanting to say, partly knowing he's listening, but also because this is really true. My husband, who's a humongous Quitters fan. Yay! (laughs) We are a two-income household and he is the most incredible partner I could possibly ask for. And even between the two of us working at 100% capacity, there just isn't enough time or energy to do so many of the things that just do not matter at this point. Is that freeing? It is, yeah, because I know that there are things that are more important than some of the friendships that I've let go of, for example. I mean, if my life right now is largely enclosed to my house, other than taking my son to school, I know I need to have an outfit that I can drive him to school in that he will not be embarrassed to walk in with me wearing, you know, then I know I have to be there to pick him up. And I used to spend so much money on dresses. This is a messy quit, I guess. I have stopped spending a whole bunch of money on cheap dresses. Good for you. We're lucky to have our health and we're lucky to have the kids have come through this to the extent that they have. But I just don't have time for things that don't help me pursue the goal of continuing to get through it. What did that afford you? And what did you get back when you stopped engaging in those things after you'd made those quits? So much more time and mental capacity for my kids, my husband, my writing, which I don't have as much as I want to spend on any of those things. But however much I have, a lot of it is because I am not spending it in, for example, a hairdresser's chair or freaking out unnecessarily about some drama with a friend that I wouldn't have five years later. So these quits, while they look like you've given up something on one side, it's given you a finite resource back. Mm -hmm. Health and time are the ultimate finite resources that we have. Yes. More than time, more than health, more than giving back to your family and getting back to your creative endeavors, it gave you... Self, I would say. A much clearer relationship with myself. More of the things that I love to do, more of the things that I didn't have a lot of time to do before COVID, unfortunately, and a lot less of the bullshitty stuff. I feel really lucky ultimately to have gotten to spend these couple years learning how to be myself, a person I don't know that I would have been at this point in my life without some of this hard stuff we've been through. Wow. There's some tears that are coming for me. I have to say that as we are recording this, it is May 17th and it is the birthday of my best friend and cousin, Katie, whom I lost three years ago. And Mm -hmm. the idea of health And as I hear you talk about this long road and these beautiful children that you have and this beautiful family in front of you and valuing that and prioritizing it, it just really warms me. These are like happy tears too, to know that there has been something good that came out of this pandemic. There are some quits that have been necessary. And it sounds like for you, they were a necessity. You had to pick something. Yeah. You chose self, but the way you define self is health family and creativity. Yeah, I would say that that sums it up. Those three things. That makes me really happy. (laughs) I'm really proud of you. I'm really inspired by you. I really admire you. I just think you're so bold and you're really determined in a way that you're humble about. You don't throw it in people's face, but you just keep going. 
And the last thing I want to say is you really do obviously have a gift and you've had it as far as I can remember, which is since I was two. I'm so proud and so inspired to see you protect that gift. And I just love you. So I'm so grateful that you even were willing to come and do this with us. I don't think I've ever introduced you to anybody that I work with. I'm so flattered. And you better lay on this plane, Chad. (laughs) I was hoping the two of you all would hit it off, but I kind of thought you would because you're both so smart. And it was adorable for me to see the version of Julie who I met the first time again. Uh, (laughs) I see what you mean. Because I see it when you fall in love with at least a couple weeks ago, like just watch you go from who is this person to, oh, wow, I'm captivated by this. That's the part of you that makes me love you. So if this is bringing it full circle, I love that. And I want to tell you one thing, my nugget of wisdom from my sister, Annie, who is the smartest person I know. So if she says it, it's true. She's an infectious disease doctor who went to Stanford and Harvard. And she's the one who said to me, Ready for this radical thought? Brace yourself. Yes. (laughs) Audible books count. I go, no, they fucking don't. No, they don't. As for babies. And she's like, I do not have two minutes in my life to read a book. She said, if it were not for audio recorded books, I would not be able to consume any of them. It is only on my commute while I am running, while I am doing other things that I am able to indulge in one of my great passions. And I was like, I don't know about that. And you know what? I said, I'll start with books I think are bullshit and see if it really counts. Yeah. And I started realizing that something that was happening for me when I read fiction, if there's parts where the names are a little bit confusing or it's a long descriptive passage, I find myself skimming. Mm-hmm. When I'm listening, can't skim. I got to take it that pace. <laughs> and with those names being pronounced the same way over and over, I suddenly realized I was retaining in an entirely different way. Yeah. But I'm just telling you, as a parent of three, and maybe years before you are able to sit and read, give yourself this gift. Shannon, do you listen to audiobooks? This is a really hot tip because this somehow never occurs to me to try to do, but I have some I credits. I always forget to. Yeah, that's a hot tip. I'm going to try. Yeah. Sometimes I don't want a car ride to end, you know? I can see that happening. Yeah. Can you just tell us, I know we don't have a pub date yet, but can you give us like a little plug? Yeah, sure. Yeah. What's your book called? Who's publishing it? The working title is Company. That title refers to some of the machinations that people have to go through when unexpected company shows up. Uh Uh-huh. And it is being published by Grey Wolf Press, which I'm thrilled about. And it will probably release in early 2024, which seems like a really long time from now, but time is just barreling forward. Mm -hmm. Right now I'm in the stage of awaiting edits and then I'll be working throughout the rest of this year on getting it into its final shape. Well, they sell through Amazon and independent booksellers, so you can support whoever you want in this one. Yep, exactly. Wherever books are sold. Wherever books are sold. Wherever books are sold. (laughs) Thank you. And I can't wait. Now I want to go read the rest of your stories that are already online, which are at ShannonSandersWrites.com. You can find these short stories, some of which or all of which will appear in the book. Most of the ones that are online, yeah, not all necessarily. And some of them are not available online, but links are there to purchase them in places. Yeah, or come find me on Twitter at Shanders Writes, S-H-A-N-D-E-R-S, Writes, W-R-I-T-E-S. 
Thank you, Shannon. Thank you. Love you. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Like I said, my husband and I are gigantic Quitters fans. We love this so much. Julie, it was really wonderful to meet you. Thank you. I love talking to and hearing from a fellow twin mom and all of that stuff. And so I have really enjoyed everything I've listened to you talk about, about working at home. Oh, gosh. I've learned so much from you today, too. So thank you. Thanks, Shannon. Thank you so much for having me. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye-bye. 